welcome. You've got mail. Welcome to this edition of TechStream. This is officially the 17th episode of this here podcast. Now, I'm saying that because I want to get a new habit into saying the number because I've been upset. I missed the 10th and I missed the 15th. (laughs) So I don't care that it's only 17, but I'm saying this is the 17th episode of TechStream. I'm Seth Everett. He's Shelly Palmer. Good afternoon, Shelly. Hey, hey, Seth. How are you? 17. That's right. Barely legal. Barely, <laughs> barely legal. Um, this weekend, I have a, two pop culture recommendations, and it perfectly sets up our theme today. All right. There are two really good uh, music documentaries that just came out. One is from Questlove called Summer of Soul. And what it is, is found footage of the Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969. A festival that took place the same year as Woodstock and doesn't get any of the publicity. You have Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone, Gladys Knight. And what they did was they just unearthed this footage and told a story around the footage. Uh, It's captivating. That's fantastic. I can't wait to see it. Oh, my God. It's a two-hour film. It's on Hulu. And I I cannot recommend it enough. The other one, it's on Apple TV Plus, and it's called 1971, The Year That Music Changed Everything. And it's an eight-part series, or a 10-part series. And the first episode is the introduction that 1971 was the first time pop music ever discussed the war, Vietnam. And the mm-hmm. protests, yep. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, John Lennon's Imagine came out in 1971. Mm-hmm. The second episode, I'm only two in. It, it is captivating. The, the second one is how all these popular bands got so hooked on LSD that no one took them seriously <laughs> and how it hurt the message. And I, that's fascinating, too. I, I have eight more to go. But Shelly, I know, you know, your music uh, connection is much more close. I figured when I saw both of these, I mm-hmm. said, oh, my God, Shelly Palmer will eat these up. Yeah. Well, look, the Harlem Cultural Festival, I knew that it took place. I didn't know there was footage. It's funny. I go through phases. Um, for those of you who don't know, I started my career as a composer, producer, writing music for television, and I've written quite a bit of it. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that, but it, you can go to ShellyPalmer.com and in the footer, there are some credits if you're interested, but spent mom and dad own music stores. I grew up in a pretty musical household and I, I play a bunch of instruments and I'm concentrating right now on piano uh, more than anything else, keyboard. But what's interesting is that I go through musical phases and the musical phase I'm in right now is the analysis and the stylistic uh, remarkable, the remarkable stylistic um, reality that is Stevie Wonder. Oh, God. He, he is like the funkiest human being in the world. And it's funny, I just ordered a brand new musical instrument that uh, I had never seen before. Um, quick digression. It's called a harpeggi. H-A-R-P-E-J-J-I. It's a kind of a weird combination between a keyboard and a guitar and a 
harp, but less of a harp, more really a guitar and a keyboard. You, you play it by hammering on the keys, by pressing uh, the strings, by pressing the strings down on the fret. And it's, it's, it has strings. This one I ordered has 24 strings. There's only five, 600 of them ever made. Stevie Wonder plays one. Another uh, young idol of mine, a kid named Jacob Collier, who if you haven't heard of this young man, I, I don't think I've ever witnessed talent at this level wow. ever uh, in, in my whole life. And it, it, unbelievable. Anyway, I saw Stevie play this instrument and it reminded me how magnificent he is. Like, it's not like I needed reminding, but watching yeah, yeah. him play this thing because he owns one, I was like, wow. So I've been going super, super deep into just every little nuance that is Stevie. So yeah, I'm st- Oh, so, you'll love in Summer of Soul. So, he's the opening act and he's walking around the stage, which I couldn't believe. He does a drum solo at one point in this in this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to me, uh, unbelievably yeah, fascinating. Me. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, the Staples and then sisters. Look, you know, yeah. the, 1971, that is a pivotal year. And I don't want to go too deep into this because I know we want to talk about other yeah. things. But but I thought it was a great segue. It, it is. I tell you what. During the vietnam war i was young um uh, my cousins served and we were very scared because they were over there and they were just straight up infantry um we had a lot of music that was about the war about the the experience and anti-war specifically and i always wondered i asked so many people as we spent the longest war uh, the war in afghanistan where was the music? Where was the art? Where was the, because there was plenty of fine art. There was plenty of street art. There was plenty of poetry. There was so much anti-Vietnam, anti-establishment. The, the 71 was an interesting turning point. And I was, I guess I was, I was a kid, but, but you know, it was not lost on me. And the best I could come up with, and I'd love our listeners to, to weigh in on this because I'm just making a, a, my own observation here and I'd love to hear yours. I think it's because this generation has social media to express right. themselves on that they didn't need to write the kind of music they didn't need to emote or either they weren't capable of or didn't need to emote in the same way. But you know, you wear your clothes, you wear your car, you wear your beer, you wear your music. It becomes part of your identity. Certainly when you're young, the music that's popular when you're call it 10 to 20 years old is your music. Right. And where, where is the protest music of this generation? This is a generation that has at least as many problems in its own mind and maybe realistically as many problems as the previous couple of generations have. Where is the protest music? Where is the popular zeitgeist from a musical and an artwork perspective? I, I, I miss it because it was so profound from, you know, like you said, from John Lennon to Stevie Wonder to Joni Mitchell and Marvin Gaye, you get down the list. I just on and on and on. There were so many uh, Dylan. I mean, you could go on forever and ever about how many different amazing musicians wrote amazing music in and about the experience. And you're right. There were a lot of drugs and probably did invalidate the message a little bit. But that and, but that but that's a big thing, because yeah. people who had smart messages ruined it uh, because of that. Now, we're not judging them. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Ju- I'm, I'm not judging them. But what I'm saying is, is could they have done more social good? Uh, there's also the documentary McCartney 321, uh, which is on Hulu. I haven't seen that yet. And uh, there's a huge chunk of 1971 on George Harrison's uh, decision to make 
the Bangladesh uh, concert at Madison mm-hmm. Square Garden. Yeah, I, it just it's fascinating stuff. If if you're a history buff and a music lover, the the both films are completely told by the music. I'm excited about that. I oh, they're such that. great. I feel now I feel stupid because this weekend I just watched Loki. That was the only thing I had time to watch. And I watched oh, the last I'm the so sorry. of Lo- Lo- Loki. Yeah, we're reviewing uh, Loki on the uh, Hall of Justice podcast this week. And all I can say is, oy vey. Wow. OK, oh, we're going to have cool. to have a, a conversation about that. I, I was less offended. I don't like the character, but I was less offended by it than I thought. I actually. I, in a weird way, mildly enjoyed it. The stupidity of it was like not lost on can me. I, but... Can I ask one non-spoilery question about Loki? Sure, sure. Do you think the plethora of one-on-one scenes is COVID-influenced? There are wow. so many scenes where mm-hmm. he's talking to Owen Wilson or the, the young lady, uh, Sophie Turner, I think her mm-hmm. name is. Yeah. Uh, what, what, the, the, all these different characters, but there's so many one-on-one conversations. Was that to, for protocols? That's really interesting directorially. I noticed it as, you know, before you, you brought it up, I noticed it as I watched the whole six episodes. But we won't spoil it for people. They're going to have to form their own opinions. I, I know you didn't care for it. I didn't hate it at all. And um, uh, my wife, on the other hand, was not a fan. But I, I didn't hate it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm a Marvel fanatic, and I, I'm a huge supporter of, of everything Marvel does. And this was disappointing. In my, that's yeah. how I would characterize it. Yeah, I, I, I feel you. Falcon I and the I, Winter Soldier and WandaVision are oh, 10 times better. Thing is, I'm so hungry for content right now, Seth. I, I literally, I, I'd watch someone read the phone book. I, as long as that really, ac- as long as that a British accent. There's, I've been reading. The good news about the pandemic is I have read more and I've done more coding and I've <laughs> written. I've literally written more computer programs in the last 15 months than I think I've written in every year prior combined. I just sat down and decided I was going to go deep into. Python, go deep into Solidity, which is the language that you I'll write take Ethereum this. smart contracts. And I just, I've gone crazy doing that. And, you know, I have the TV on in the background for, you know, noise. So looking at the, the, the time gone by, mm-hmm. uh, now there's this new aspect of music because everything doesn't have to be purchased. If you went to the Harlem Cultural Festival and you loved Sly and the Family Stone, you went to a record store and you bought a 45. Mm-hmm. Well, Fast forward through cassettes and CDs and everything, and even the Napster aspect, which we can get to. And now everything is either on iHeart, it's on Pandora, it's on Spotify, it's mm-hmm. everywhere. And all I have to do is subscribe for you know $16 a month, and I have access to a complete music library that I never heard before. The two takeaways of that are, is that a good thing for the industry? Because the artists aren't making anything. They're making a third of a penny every time you play a Taylor Swift song. What gives? What, why is this happening in music? Well, there's a whole bunch of things packed into that question. First of all, in the world in which you and I live, access is as valuable as ownership. It is not limited to music. We are in a world where I have access to a car through Uber or Lyft. I don't need a car. I have access to a hotel room. I don't need a house. I have access to an Airbnb. I don't need a hotel. I have access to access is as valuable as ownership and true with music too. It's and Americans like uh, all you can eat buffets. So the more the merrier. You go to the all you can eat buffet and you just like to see a whole room full of food, whether you're going to eat it all or not. 
And that's what, you know, there are something like 5 million songs you care about and 75 million songs you don't. And, and some services offer all 75 million and off, others offer the 5 million. It's more music than you could ever listen to in your life. And because they are set up the way they're set up, the artists don't do as well in their, in their performance royalties as they would in other ways. But I got to say, Seth, without the Copyright Tribunal having made this particular arrangement for the streaming music companies, there wouldn't be any streaming music. Truthfully, the RIAA and the recorded music industry went to the Copyright Tribunal years ago in the Napster era, to bring back a word people haven't heard in years, and they killed streaming music dead for years. We could have had streaming music services 10, 15 years earlier than we had Spotify. And it would have been perfect. And ASCAP was having none of it. And none of the uh, performing rights societies thought it was a good idea. The recorded music companies hated it. And they just went to court and got it killed. It took until Spotify figured out how to get in front of the copyright tribunal and get a statutory uh, ruling on what they would have to pay from a performance royalty perspective in order for you to have streaming music. So the convenience for the consumers is that now there is a way for us to stream and the inconvenience for the artists is that it's no longer a profit center. However, for the recorded music companies, Universal, Sony, etc., they are, it's now their largest source of income. So people aren't buying CDs. They're buying a little bit of vinyl, but that's more as a collectible. There's a whole movement of people who are, I, I, I don't even want to like get into this. There's a whole group of people who think vinyl has a, sounds better than a, a CD or sounds better than whatever. And I, if that's in the ear of the beholder, it, it's nonsense. So it's in the ear of the beholder. But anyway, but, but if but if it's helping and you know if yeah, it's helping if it, stores and knock yourself out, like right, yeah, go what, go nuts, do whatever you want to do. You, you want to get are, them in purple and green, go for it. You are the world's foremost expert in what you think sounds good. End of story. Nobody can tell you what you think sounds good. And so, um, far be it from me to confuse you with facts or statistics and or specifications and or science. If it sounds good to you, it's good. That's the end of the rule. That is the rule. I'll tell you a funny story about that. Uh, I grew up in a music store, as I told you. And uh, my mom and dad had a, a bunch of stores. And and during the time that I was really young, I, if I wanted to see my, my parents, I was going to be in the music store, either sitting behind the counter making change or dusting, tuning guitars. I used to have me literally, there were hundreds of guitars in the store. And I used to get 25 cents a guitar from my dad. I thought it was a dime a guitar for my dad to go from guitar to guitar and keep them all in tune. Um, it was really fun. Anyway, we had this wall of speakers. I don't know if you remember going into an audio store, call it, you know, 30 years ago, but if you used to go into an audio store, there would be a switch box and you could play your test, either album or tape and press the switch box and you'd hear different speakers, right? I mean, you know, you could try out different speakers. So this guy comes in, I will never forget this for the rest of my life. It has shaped my entire understanding of how people hear music that are not me. So we had these two pair of, uh, well, there were like 20 speakers on the wall, but there were two that were identical, identical, except for one had a black painted case and the other had a walnut stained case, but they were, it was a bi-amped stereo pair and the crossovers were the same and the cones were the same and the woofers were the same. It was uh, the, the, the tweeters the same, the woofers were the same, it was exactly the same pair of speakers. This guy sat there and in front of this wall of speakers and, and switched back and forth between the black ones and the walnut ones 
or like the better part of two hours, literally two hours. And at the end, and they had different model numbers because they were, they were two different colors. So they had, but they were the same speaker, clearly unknown to him, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, he comes up to the counter and he says, I, I would like, you know, X, Y, Z, W as opposed to X, Y, Z, B. And, and the, they start ringing him up. And then he continues. These sound like sitting in the mezzanine at Carnegie Hall. These sound like sitting in the orchestra at Lincoln Center. I prefer to sit in the orchestra at Lincoln Center. I will take these. End of story. Same exact speaker. Nothing different. 100% statistically identical and he wasn't taking the ones on the shelf he was getting them new in a box so they weren't going to sound like that either and they certainly weren't going to sound like that in his home that i can promise you because you cannot solve an electronic problem uh, an acoustic problem with an electronic solution if you're going to place your speakers in the wrong place it doesn't matter how powerful they are or what their specs are if they are not precisely placed you are not going to hear what you think you're going to hear and that is the big fallacy of all of this. You have the air conditioner going, you have the speakers in the wrong place. It doesn't matter what speakers they are. The room isn't set up that way. There are standing waves in the room. If the room is rectangular and there are perpendicular walls or parallel walls, oh my goodness, you're gonna, <laughs> if the room is too echoic or too anechoic, it, it's 100% about the physics and has nothing, nothing to do with the baseline electronics in most people's homes unless you're in a very, very highly well-prepared uh, listening room. So it's all just personal preference and whatever it is mythology you believe. And there are so many people who will argue. I won't get into the bar argument with people. But the selection process has changed now. <laughs> yes, it has. The, the, the weirdest thing about it is, is like you had your artist. Who was your favorite artist as a kid? Favorite, favorite of all time? Like if uh, you had one, if, if, if I gave you... Uh, you know, six dollars in 1973. Who did you buy? Oh, I would have bought the Brecker Brothers in, in 1973. Done. Okay, I would have bought Prince. The point, the the point of where I'm going is, is if today, if I find, you know, Band X, and they are good, and let's, and and, and they're good, and I hear them on, heaven forbid, I hear them on the radio, mm -hmm. then then that's like a bad word. Then I have no incentive. Other than to go to my phone, go to Spotify, find the guy and add it to a playlist. That's right. It, it takes two seconds. Yeah. There's no hunt at, anymore. There's nope. no anticipation anymore. And so could I ask the question, do you feel that fans are disconnected or further connected? Do people know Taylor Swift today better than they knew you know, uh, uh, Whitney Houston in the 80s. I'm just trying to find somebody random. The Rolling Stones in the, in, in the early. So you, you've hit How does that work? Yeah, no, you've had an important point. And I tell you what, um, music is suffering right now from lack of scarcity. But 100% of the entertainment business is suffering from lack of scarcity. There's, there's every fan has access. The reason music is really footballed around like it is, is and, and why it, a live music stream doesn't really have anything special about it that you that you need to care about. First of all, it will always be available on demand at some point, which you know, because nobody is going to make that go away. It's not going to be put back in the vault for years the way they do it at the Disney organization with their movies. And everybody's overexposed. In fact, everybody's going out of their way to be overexposed. And so access is 100%. The other thing is there's... 
more music today. And I think it's wonderful. I mean, I, I don't see it as the problem other people see. If I was selling music for a living, I would see it as, as problematic. There's so much amazing music available today from so many amazing people, not necessarily the biggest, most famous artists. You go on YouTube, you're going to find some people who play extraordinarily well, who are amazingly creative. You see this everywhere. And so there's way more music than there's ever been. It's easier to create it. It's easier to produce it at a high level. It's easier to craft it in high sonic quality and distribute it. It's hard to market it. And so the marketing has become... Uh, the whole music industry. And I would argue as it has been literally since 1980, because when MTV went on the air and with video killed the radio star, they weren't kidding. You now needed to be a really good music video maker in order to be considered a, um, a popular uh, act. Now you not only need to be a great musician or a good musician, at least you need to have an immense amount of style, be dating the right person, you need to be an incredible video maker. A you have to do social media. social media. You yeah. need to be a social media monster. Your CRM ought to be pretty good too. And you know, I mean, there's so many things you need to do that have nothing to do with music that differentiate you. So when you talk about, you know, call it just 5 million pieces of music that are available as opposed to the 75 million that some of the music streaming services are offering. If, if you are one track out of 5 million tracks, how do you get found, right? And how do you become, like, what is it uh, past the one hit wonder? Like, what is it about what you're doing? Are you taking people on journeys? A lot of people got upset because albums sort of ceased to be as we got into the world of digital files. And so the stories that were told with long albums, uh, you know, 10, 12 songs that were in a sequence. And I, I remember clearly how important sequencing on a vinyl was oh band, absolutely right now now and, and then the, the thrill of making your own playlists with itunes was really cool for music because you could take you know three songs from off the wall and add it to thriller and you have like this ultimate playlist that was your doing but you still had to buy the music yeah back then look it's uh, you know what i'm saying so uh, yeah, digital but... isn't it it's what what what's weird now is the staying power of these artists uh, and, and I'm going to use them because my daughter listens to them. Um, Ariana Grande. Mm -hmm. I want to understand we, where is Ariana Grande going to be in the popularity lexicon in five years? I think that will she I, be forgotten? Well, it because <laughs> Bruce Springsteen found a way to, to, to keep it going. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, people still know who Cindy Lauper. Is. I'm trying to find parallels to Ariana no, well, Grande. Look, I, 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 have, I think we need to put this in context. We live in a world right now where our furniture is disposable, our entertainment is disposable. Barry Diller made a comment in Sun Valley at the Allen Conference a couple of weeks ago that a lot of people took real real offense at he he i'm a really offended everybody he said the music business uh, the um movie business is over and he went on to and it, he didn't help himself when he explained it he he said look you know no one cares it used to make movies about things you care about nobody cares about what they're making this stuff is going to last for five minutes it's all disposable now i think that he probably came off sounding like a curmudgeon-y old guy who's just, you know, mm -hmm. waxing poetic about the way things used to be. And I, I hate that in every way. It's in, I think it's instructive to understand what used to be so that you can know how you'd like to shape your future and you also have some context. 
Is it okay for someone, and I don't want to call it Ariana Grande, I have no idea if she's going to last or not last, but any artist today that may be Camila Cabello, a a flash in the pan or a one hit wonder. There have always been one hit wonders have always been flashes in the pan. There's always that song. It's like, who did that? And you never get it right because the band only did one song. So, you know, uh, and and let me interrupt you right there because I want to correct a couple of news organizations. And I mean, no disrespect when I say this, but saying that rapping legend Biz Marquis died is not really accurate. He had one song. Yeah, yeah. Biz Marquis is not a rapping legend. Okay, flash test on one hit wonders. Who who's the band or the artist that did the wedding and bar and bat mitzvah favorite play that funky music? Oh, um, uh, Wild Cherry. Well done. Okay, that's the only song I think these people ever right. did. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's one hit like, wonders are fascinating. And but, there's um there's a podcast that I listen to uh, with Ralph Garman who every Wednesday they do one hit wonder Wednesday. And then his listeners made a Spotify playlist of all the one hit wonders. And there's a and, lot of them. They're fabulous. Oh, there's, there's hundreds of them. They're real hits. And so we, we're not unused to disposable artists or disposable music or things that only, you know, exist for a heartbeat. And most people, if they have a hit, they're lucky to have one. The, the, anomalies if you will the are the billy joels are the elton johns are the michael jacksons are the you choose the bruce springsteen people that have stood you know madonna 20 30 40 year careers the beatles 50 60 year i mean that's unbelievable compared to what the average human being is capable of 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 putting out there so uh, i think that what's really important for us to understand seth isn't whether or not anybody is going to last in five years or not. The question is, if I'm going to incentivize young people to choose a business, there was a time when there was such a thing as the music business. You'd go to class, you'd take a music class, you could study music in college, you still can. And when you got out- You'd play a gig, you'd try to get it discovered. There was was all kinds of work for, for good musical talent. That's not being a music teacher. Like there was real work. There's a lot less of it today, but what there's more of, and the thing that I'm uh, having grown up as the child of two music educators and believing that music education, it helps you have a well-rounded, really good understanding of the world. I got to say, it is so magnificent to see so many people given tools to express themselves musically and whether that's a pull down menu on a computer and they're all they're doing is assembling stuff or there are so many uh, little tools today sequencers and samplers that you can for you know for not a lot of money you know 50 60 70 dollars each do amazing work with you can put together beats people can rap over them and they can express themselves uh, and they can they can learn about their own feelings and they can then let other people feel what they're feeling through music as a medium. Now that's amazing. The downside of that is that the music business has become a business where entertainment specifically music is the medium, but has nothing to do with the product. The product of Ariana Grande Seth is Ariana Grande, not her music, not her voice, not her. No, it's the totality of who and what she is. It's including eating donuts or licking donuts off the the... all of it. And by the way, I'm not here to say that's good or bad. I'm just telling you that that's 
what is, and we have to live with it. And everybody who wants to say that it's deeper than that, come yell at me and then prove it. Cause I've been in the music business, the better part of a, a half century. I know you I can tell you flat out that this is this I've watched the evolution and the acts that we work with. Like we're talking NFTs for everybody. Now it's like our business is with, with musicians is a hundred percent about how to do fan development and how to hold the fans in place. And right now the tool of choice is a non-fungible token that will last however long it lasts. Everybody's trying to put their own currencies together. They're trying everything they can to, to group their fans together and to take care of their fans and to be as accessible as possible and also to impart as much value as possible to their fans because the competition is, is to stay... It's a fight for relevance, right? They're trying to stay relevant. The music keeps them relevant, but so does the uh, fashion they wear and the things okay. they do and the people they hang out with. So there's two two final uh, questions slash uh, discussions here. And the, the first one is the fight between Scooter Braun and Taylor Swift. Uh, Taylor Swift uh, doesn't like that Scooter Braun owns her master recordings. Um, this is standard in almost every entry level uh, pop contract. You sign away your master recordings. And this was something that I remember clearly because in the 90s, this was what prince's fight with warner brothers was it was about master recordings mm -hmm. so taylor swift says that she's going to re-record all of her songs mm -hmm. this is what gave me the idea to bring this this podcast up she's re-recording her whole catalog and there's taylor's version versus the original versions yep the problem is is that nowadays with Spotify and Pandora, and we're just picking on Spotify, but it's any one of these title, you want to use title because, oh, they pay almost a whole penny. Um, the idea that no one's going to go out and purchase her re-records because why would you do that? If I want to listen to Taylor Swift's new recording of, of uh, haters are going to hate, 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 whatever that song's called. <laughs> if you want to do that, you can go and go on Spotify and she'll get a third of a penny. And so, Shelly, the, the, the whole idea to me, what I when my daughter said, oh, uh, Taylor Swift is going to re-record her catalog. And I said, that is a fruitless effort. Yeah. So because the music she sold the original catalog when people were buying music. Yeah, I well, let, let's break that down just very quickly. First of all, the song you're referring to, I think, is Shake It Off, right? Haters gonna hate uh -huh. it. Yeah, yeah, I think shake it off. Um, the if you want me to be here all day, I can edit in little snippets of all these songs that we've been referencing. <laughs> yeah, and I will do that. a minute and a half on Stevie Wonder. I'm just telling you right now. Uh, yeah, it's easy. Um so look, let's break this down for a second. I think the song you're talking about is Shake It Off, where she goes, haters going to hate, hate, hate. But anyway, uh -huh. there is a lot of publicity value in going in the studio and re-recording that which you already understand and can easily record. She'll put it out there. The master rights to those songs are have a value in what's known as sync rights. When somebody does a television show or a video that is going to play publicly, in order for that to air in every jurisdiction that has copyright protection, you need to obtain not only public performance rights, but sync rights if there's video involved. And so she'll be paid on those sync rights, not Scooter Braun's company and not the record company. So that's there is a value. Secondly, I think there is a market of diehard Taylor Swift fans who will want 
to support her. Completist, right. As she, as she says, I have been unfairly dealt with, and here is my answer. I have re-recorded this for you. It costs X, and go for it. So there's several million dollars to be made there, and not a whole lot of time must or fuss in the studio because mm-hmm. she goes out and does a concert. She sings them all anyway. So it's not like they don't, the band that she works with and musicians she works with aren't going to be able to put this together in a pretty in pretty quick order. They don't have to change the arrangement. The arrangement's not not owned by anybody but the arranger. They don't have to change the production. They don't have to change anything. All they have to do is go in there and literally rebuild. And they might actually enhance it in some way. So there'll be like the, some people will always want the pure version. Some people are going to want the new version. Some people who are really big fans are going to want both. I don't uh, see any doubt. And I'll ask our audience, has anyone ever heard 1999, The New Master by Prince? Came out in 1999. No one's heard that. Yeah. It they, was... Everybody's heard the 1982 version. Yes. <laughs> because that's the way it yeah, works. And Prince said, works. I'm not because he swore he was going to re-release his whole catalog. And then as he started to get into it, said, well, this is a waste of time. I'll just make yeah, right. new stuff. That's right. Just make And Taylor stuff. Swift has it even worse because now at least when Prince was doing it, people bought CDs. Mm-hmm. No, look, the mechanical royalties are not to be had. And that Look, the record. Right. So she should just go tour, go, you know, when 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 it's healthy and safe, because touring and that's the final topic of this whole thing, Uh which is touring is the only way artists make money. How many of today's artists are making enough money touring? For example, let's use Ariana Grande, uh, Camila Cabello and, uh, you know, uh, you know, some some of these some of these artists, these new artists that don't have the legacies because when I see Ticketmaster and maybe Ticketmaster, you know, the algorithm is showing me, I see you two, I see Bruce Springsteen. I see these old bands, mm-hmm. old bands are making money touring these stadiums. What about the new group, the new crowd? Let's exclude Taylor Swift because she can sell out a 70,000 seat stadium. So, I don't think we can cover the entire business of touring in the time we have left, but I will tell you that there are different sized venues, right? There are clubs, there are bigger clubs, there are 3000 seaters like the old Westbury music fair or the old theater at Madison square garden used to be able to put, you know, three, 5,000 people in a room. And then, you know, there are, then there are stadiums or arenas that you can maybe get, anywhere between 12 and 15,000, depending on how the stage is set up and where it's put inside the arena. And then there's stadiums, which can, you know, be up to call it 45, 50,000 fans, depending on where you put the band in the stadium. So touring is its own animal. There are all the acts are quantified into the number of seats they can fill. And it's just a straight business. Uh, So many bands when you go to see earth, wind and fire, maybe there's one or two original band members and the rest are pickup right. musicians. They're just some musicians, touring, right? Right. You go to see Chicago, you go to see, and they're, they are trading on people of a certain age, trying to relive a certain thing. And they're willing to pay and they're concert goers. One of the most interesting things about Taylor Swift, she played out at Meadowlands uh, years ago when my granddaughters were, I'm going to call it, maybe six and eight years old. Mm-hmm. And it was the first concert they had ever been to. That was a full up arena concert. And my wife and I couldn't wait, couldn't wait to take them to teach them how to be music fans to mm. teach them how to go to a concert and what it is to, to show the kind of support for the artists that you, that you like, or you love. And 
and to go and enjoy yourself in that environment because concerts, you know, it's not like a thing everybody, first of all, it's expensive beyond expensive. And just to go buy a concert ticket, is, it, it is a different experience. Yep. And I, in making young concert goers, I think one of the biggest problems the, from the pandemic for the music business is that not only could the artists not tour, which, which, and the working musicians could not get paid because they couldn't go on tour. No one got to leave the house to do any of that. And a lot of the smaller venues just couldn't hang on. So it's going to be interesting to see what the concert touring business evolves into post COVID because we really have had a, a pretty massive shift in the way where people live, what the population centers look like, who's doing what, what the bands can afford, what the people can afford. Uh, also, when you look at some of the, the range of concert experiences, if you go to see an amazing DJ, right? Some, I mean, you go to Vegas and you see a Calvin Harris do what Calvin Harris does in Vegas, that the, technology being used to create an environment is off the charts and you know the, how are live bands doing what are you there about and can you give people with with fidelity being so high even though i'm not a fan of earbuds and even though i'm not a fan of the ridiculous low fidelity of uh, what happens on spotify and uh, all of the other streaming services and don't start with me about high-res audio we'll do that another day we will get into it but not today um you're used to having stuff really polished, really well done, and and no mistakes. It's not what happens in a live performance. Live performances are about being live, live and having it's, all kinds of cool stuff happen. It but sounds better. Have, but if you haven't been trained to understand the difference between sure. something that's formulaically made, that's perfect, that's been listened to 75,000 times by the producer and engineer and everything's perfect, and then you know somebody live is just getting loose and doing their thing, and they'll make a mistake, but the emotion's still there. If you're not, you don't know what you're getting, you walk away from that experience disappointed in what you've seen because you don't, it's, I have heard oh, so many people say, I think so too, but I've heard so many people say to me, oh, I don't miss concerts. You know, they make a lot of mistakes and the sound always sucks. It's like, uh, that's, is that really why you're there? Did you go there for that? Me. Really? Oh, God. <laughs> is that what you were there for? Uh, that's correct. Wow. And, okay. I guess I misunderstand. <laughs> and I, like, I, I want to make sure before we wrap up, I want to make sure I say, um, I don't want to sound like that old man, uh, says all of today's music sucks because uh, that's not the point. I want to make sure we mention uh, Madison Beer and Dua Lipa, two okay. artists that have immense talent, but it's those artists that have these little followings that are now not making any money on their publishing. They're not making any money on their recordings and they're only touring for a little bit. And I just don't know how Dua Lipa becomes Madonna. I, I don't know that there's a direct. I don't think Madonna is more talented than Dua Lipa. You know what I'm saying? Like I she, she's very talented in her own right, but what separates Madonna from Dua Lipa is when they were born. Maybe, or it could be a group of other things. I mean, what makes a star, if it could be bottled and understood, everyone would be one. What I will say to you though, Seth, is that, the, the main difference today is that, and it's not just, it's not just music artists, every piece of content, every piece of content no longer has a window where it has different values. It's out there and then it's not out there. It's like you, you don't have the, 
the exclusive release, then the window where it's only available on physical media, then the window where it's only available in a theater, then it's only available all, you know, and then they keep adding. Now it's okay. Now we're going to add home video. Now we're going to add uh, television. Now we're going to add video. Like, no, it's just, it's out there. It's been released. And because of that, uh, the money, uh, the what's accretive to these artists is their own, their own value. What's the, what's the bank of Dua Lipa? What's like, what's the staying power? What's the, what is that asset worth? And I saw a CBS Sunday morning feature on her and I I'm fascinated with her story. Seems like a real genuine person that I want to root for. I have no hope that she'll be, that that she's not going to get swallowed up by uh, this business. And I'm, I'm going to say just the opposite. I'm going to say that talent will out that the, the best players the best musicians the best of the best of the best cannot be ignored and they aren't and it's like niche players or niche players i i have a bunch of people i love you've never heard of and i I seek them out and i listen it's my own personal taste and i i spend a lot on patreon to tell you the truth i don't know if you're hip to patreon or if you do it but on youtube a lot of the artists they they put their stuff on youtube and they have patreon accounts and you could send five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month or $25 a month. I, I, every time I see an artist that makes me want to copy them, if I say, if someone does something interesting enough where I want to sit down and go, how'd they do that exactly? That's an interesting voicing. Wow. What an interesting way to style that phrase. If I sit down and try to just think about it for one second, then I want to support them in some way because it's the only way they're going to be supported. So if you love your artists, if there's people, you know, that there's ways to do it. Will they become super famous and, and, and world famous? I'm not sure that, that we understand that term the way in the 21st century, the way it was understood in the 20th century, it's going to be interesting to see who those artists are. Is there a Michael Jackson of the last decade? That isn't the actual Michael Jackson. Is there an actual Bruce Springsteen of the last decade? Is there one of this decade? I don't know the answer. I don't know. I, I know there's some from the nineties. A lot of people who grew up in the nineties will tell you who their, who the biggest best acts are. Some of the people who grew up in the, in the, Aughts will tell you some of their favorites. Will will they, to your point, be around in 25 years? Will that be what they think about? That group will think about the things they loved, but will those artists stand the test of time? Do we have super famous artists? Great question for the listeners. Love to hear from you. Um, you could just, you know, hit us up on Twitter or, you know, come yell at us. That'd be fine. I, I'm fascinated to hear what people think about this because it's so personal. Like of you and course. I could have opinions all day long, but like I said, right. everyone listening is their own best expert, world's foremost expert on what it is they like. And I'd love to understand that. No, it, 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 there's a, there's a fascinating option. And uh, yes, uh, at Shelly Palmer on Twitter at Seth underscore Everett on, uh, on Twitter for me. And yeah, we, we, that, that's what tech streams about. There's different aspects of it. The technology, it makes it better for the fan. Maybe but they're losing something. There's, there's clearly, they're, they're losing uh, something imp- important. Uh, Shelly, have a great week. All right, my friend. That'll do it for this edition of TechStream. And I know this, the next podcast will be number 18. See, that I knew, and I feel better already. We'll see you next week. 